Hello. Hello. Welcome to Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Coel. And I'm Kenna. <sighs> Kenna. It's, I'm Kenna. I've been sick the last couple I'm just weeks. Kenna. <laughs> <laughs> so concerned that you sound so nasally. I do. I sound like I have constantly have a stuffy nose, and this time I'm actually going to have a stuffy nose, because I... Yeah. There's an undiagnosed problem with me right now. It's not <laughs> COVID, and it's not strep. Yeah. And it's not my OCD. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about a one Randy Stephen Craft, okay. also known as the scorecard killer. Okay, I don't think I've heard this one. He was also known as the freeway killer, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's someone else, and they were like, straight up, after a while, he was like, I'm not the freeway killer. So-and-so is the freeway killer. He just knows him. They just, like, hang out. Yeah. Well, I th- I think that it, because a lot of his victims were found near a freeway, people just started calling him the freeway killer. And he's yeah. like, no, that title is already somebody else's. I'm not going to also be a freeway killer. He's like, that's lame. So Randy Stephen Craft was born in Long Beach, California, March 19th, 1945. 45. 45. He had three older sisters and then a younger sister, and he was the only boy of the family. His mm. parents were Opal Lee and Harold Herbert Kraft. Herbert Kraft. Herbert. Herbert. Kraft's parents had moved to California from Wyoming um, at the beginning of the World War, uh, World War II. His father was a production worker, and his mother was a sewing machine operator. I don't know why they couldn't just say a seamstress, but... Well, that was a title, and she didn't have to have a title back in the 40s, apparently. Yeah. So, uh, Opal had quite a few jobs to help supplement. Opal was super doting of her children, and even though she probably worked three times as much as Harold did. Mm -hmm. um, Harold was described as being very distant from the family growing up. And again, Randy was doted on not by just his mother, but his three older siblings as well. A little fun fact about Randy, he was known to be accident prone. <laughs> so I guess he was just kind of a klutz. Any young boy is, though, I feel like. Not a klutz, but accident prone. You yeah. Know, doing reckless shit. In 1948, the Kraft family had moved from Long Beach to Midway City in Orange County. Their home was small. Uh, it was, like, described as a wood frame. It was actually a women's Army Corps, like, dormitory, but Harold had revamped it into being, like, a three-bedroom home. Okay. Um, so they reused the building, repurposed the building, and then that was going to be their family home. So in Midway City, Croft attended Midway Elementary School. His mother was also a member of the PTA, so, like... Opal is super involved. Yeah, she's just she's, a Jane of all trades over here. Yeah, she's like super mom. So as a student, he was noted to be intelligent by his classmates and his teachers. He really excelled at school. Even in elementary school, he was really bright. In 1957, Kraft was judged intelligent enough to attend accelerated classes in his junior high school. So he was definitely excelling. Mm -hmm. By adolescence, Kraft had taken into um, a really big interest into politics, and he was a staunch Republican, even at a very young age. Sounds like Ted Bundy. I know, right? <laughs> even more like Ted Bundy in a little bit. Um, so he was actually aspiring to become a U.S. senator. He was that okay. passionate about politics. See, and, like, just do that. Like, why do you have to turn <laughs> worse? Or turn, turn back? go ahead and do that, yeah. little Randy. I mean, you could be a criminal in that field, too. So. It's true. So shortly after his enrollment... 
at, um, in his high school, he had really two close friends um, that he started like a world affairs club with mm-hmm. um, that was all politically driven. So in his high school, Kraft was again regarded as a pleasant, bright student who regularly achieved A, a grades. So he was, again, there was no problem when it came to him become like being studious and doing what he needed to do. Yeah, this sounds like a different dynamic than what we're used to hearing. Like, he looks like he has a good home life and his mom's really nice. He has a good relationship both with mostly his mom, but both his parents, you know, yeah. there's no abuse that's been noted and good student on school and stuff like that. So what goes wrong? Exactly. <laughs> what does go wrong? So he was known to occasionally date girls, although some of his classmates had the sneaking suspicion that he was gay. Ooh, oh no, he's gay. <laughs> so Kraft later stated that he had known from early high school days that he knew he was gay, although he initially kept his sexual orientation to himself. Well, of course, this is like the what the sixties. Yeah, this or is fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On June thirteenth, nineteen sixty-three, he graduated tenth in his class of three hundred and ninety students. Wow. Yeah, he, super smart dude. Impressivo. So that fall, he went ahead and enrolled in an all men's college. Mm. Where he pursued a bachelor arts degree in economics. Where he pursued a bachelor is what I thought. He pursued a bachelor. (laughs) Shortly after his enrollment in college, Kraft had enrolled in a training corps of some kind, and he regularly attended demonstrations that were in support of the Vietnam War. So he was like again staunch Republican. He was in favor. Okay. That we needed to put our big fat fucking noses into this war. And in 1964, he campaigned rallies for the Republican presidential candidate, who was Barry Goldwater. Who? Barry Goldwater. <laughs> who? Clearly, he did not win. He later declared these actions were merely a simulation of his parents' own political views. Mm. So it was because he was brought up in that way, and of course his parents clearly were in support of World War II because, you know, they worked really, really hard during that time and stuff like that. He said that his second year at his all-men's college would be the year that he abandoned, if you will, that ideology. Okay, so he's coming into his own kind of thoughts and his own theories and stuff. So later that same year, he actually entered his first uh, same-sex relationship. Okay. So he's kind of like, his his thoughts are shifting now a little bit. Well, good bit. for him, for kind of, right. you know, go, coming into his own. So in 1964, Kraft began working as a bartender at a local, is like a garden cocktail lounge. Okay. And it, it specifically catered to gay clientele. Okay. Like, so he worked uh, for a gay bar. The one that we went to in Vegas, Vanderpump Gardens. Well, yeah, but that's not specifically towards gay people. But... Oh, no, I was just talking about the garden aspect. Of yeah, it, yeah, like it's very, like, gar- it, they called it the Garden Grove. So, yeah, and cute. again, yeah. It, so it was a gay bar. He was also known to regularly travel to Laguna Beach and Huntington Beach to have casual sex with hustlers. That escalated quickly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's in a perfect first same-sex relationship, yeah. and now he's hustling yeah. hookers. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> true. So, yeah, and I, I guess it was just, again, because it it was something that he started dipping his toes into, and he's yeah. like, well, let's go full speed, right? Well, it's the same concept as, like, growing up in a really strict household. Like, as soon as you're out of the house, you're going to do all these things that you've been thinking about doing for a long time now that you have the freedom to do so. Yeah. So around this time, in kind of an effort to reveal who his real identity and, like, how he identified and what his orientation was, he would regularly bring male 
friends Mm -hmm. over to his parents' house to introduce them. Okay. So to kind of, like, ease them into, like, I'm spending a lot of time with a man. Yeah. But not actually directly saying it. I'm not a parent, and I've never been a parent in a situation where my child is in the closet gay, but Mm -hmm. they usually know. Yeah, you would think, It's usually pretty obvious, unless they're in denial. Yeah. Not obvious, I'm saying, but they know their child, you know? (laughs) So, again, talking about escalating quickly, two years later, within two years, Kraft was actually arrested and charged with lewd conduct after propositioning an undercover policeman in Huntington Beach. Damn. Right? It's like the, what is it? Like George Michael all over again. (laughs) He had no previous criminal record, however, so no charges were ever filed. But the following year, he developed a radical shift in his political beliefs. He became a huge supporter of liberal views and eventually registered as a Democrat in 1967. Registered Democrat. Yeah, what? <laughs> He's going to carry around that card. That was probably more shocking to his parents than yeah. he was a Democrat. <laughs> Kraft quickly became a Democratic Party organizer and he campaigned tirelessly for the election of Robert F. Kennedy, RIP, and received a personal letter from the senator thanking him for his efforts. Wow. Mm-hmm. So by his senior year, this is all by his senior year, of college. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's 17 at the time. Yeah. By his senior year of college, Kraft had become a lackadaisical student, if you will. He started drinking, taking drugs, and regularly attending all-night gambling parties. Oh, with he waited until his... senior year to do yeah, that. Yeah, I know. He's, he's getting real loose now. <laughs> so with all of this drinking and drugging and, you know, becoming liberal and all, yeah. he um, actually started declining in his grades. Mm-hmm. And he failed his final his final year in college. Oh, my God. So he failed to graduate in 1967. Like, you were right there. I know. He was forced to repeat a few, like, economic classes, um, but it did it did postpone his graduation, but just until the following spring. So he really only, I mean, if you think about it, he only took, like, one more semester. Yeah. So he ended up graduating from Claremont Men's College with a Bachelor of Economics. So four months after graduation, graduating college, Kraft went ahead and joined the Air Force. He was sent to basic training in Texas before he was stationed in Edwards Air Force Base, Southern California, where he supervised uh, the painting of test planes. That's and I'm not really an interesting. Like profession. you're just yeah, you're just watching them paint. I mean, unless painting test planes means something different than. Well, he supervised. I'm assuming they're painting the actual planes and not painting photos of the planes, because was I thought that originally they were painting photos of, like self portraits <laughs> of the planes. <laughs> This is me in a plane. Seems like they're painting the actual transportation device. Exactly. (laughs) They're like spray painting these things. Yeah. Well, I guess you have to have a supervisor for that to make sure the lines are right and stuff. But it's just painting lines. I just, I just didn't, I've never heard of anybody supervising painting test planes. If anybody knows about that, hit us up. Yeah, if anybody, if you've ever painted a plane, yeah. hit us up. <laughs> Even if you've painted a picture of one, we'd love to see it. <laughs> I would love to see your painting of a plane. So during his service in the Air Force, he rose to the rank of airman, first class, and the supervising manager. So he was supervising the supervisor mm-hmm. that was supervising the painting planes. Mm, I guess. Getting up there. Yeah. <laughs> so his first year that he was there as an airman, first class, he disclosed to his family that he was gay. So he wrote a letter to a friend, and he described his father as having flown, quote, into a rage, but that his mother was very much more understanding, although she was still disapproving. Okay. Kraft's family ultimately accepted his homosexuality, and he did remain in close contact with his parents and siblings, although the siblings noted that he had begun to basically distance himself from the entire family 
I and, mean, if you get an adverse reaction like that, like, yeah. what do you... You're not going to want to stay around that right. situation. You must it's feel, awful. like, super alone. I know. It's awful. It's really sad. Especially being the only boy. Yeah. I don't know. Like, he grew up... I don't know. He grew up in a house full, full of women, pretty much, and his dad was never there. You would think that he would feel... Like, a little bit more comfortable. So, on July 26, 1969, Kraft received a a general discharge from the Air Force because he had announced his sexual orientation to his superiors. In that that state of time, it was really, really don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. But, like, now you're getting it from not just your family, but, like... Your job. Your job. Your lifestyle. And so, what his discharge was officially listed as was medical reasons. That's interesting. Right. So, in response, Kraft sought legal advice from an attorney to, to attempt to challenge the reason that he was terminated. Um, but the Air Force was like, no go. We're sorry. Like, we're yeah. still not going to, we're not going to give you your job back. You can take us to court, which he never did. Wow. Yeah. So, at this point, he didn't really have anywhere to go because he was staying on base. Mm-hmm. So, he moved back into his parents' home and then he started working as a bartender. That's really a bummer. It's like letting the... Like, the system kind of, like, let him down. Yeah. Like, not the system, but... Like, if you're willing to fight for your country, who the fuck cares who you are, what you you like to do in your private time? the way it is now, but still, it's so taboo, still. Not to mention, the military has, like, the highest reports of rape, like, ever. Yeah. Um, Homosexual and heterosexual. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's not... And it gets covered up, which is even worse. Because then it's like, you feel like you can't even tell anybody because there's no point. Yeah. Nobody's exactly. going to do anything, and everybody's just going to look at you like you're yeah. a problem. Not to say that that's everybody's military experience, no. but it is very prevalent. Mm-hmm. So, in March 1970, Kraft had encountered a 13-year-old Win- Westminster youth named Joseph Gerald Foncher. The two youths? The two youths. <laughs> the one youths, youth. two youths <laughs> at Huntington Beach, which was, you know, the place that he would frequent. Mm-hmm. I, think, I guess it's Fancher or Foncher. I want to say Fancher. So Fancher explained to Kraft that he had run away from home literally that day. In response, Kraft had invited this kid over to his apartment, and then he promised that Fancher could live with him for a little bit while he got on his feet. Okay, that's creepy. I'm sorry. He's 13. He's 13. Yeah. And this guy has to be, what, like 23 or 24 at this point? Right. So Fancher was like, cool, thanks for the couch to sleep on, I guess. So he went to his to Kraft's Belmont Shore apartment. He was then drugged and sexually assaulted. Okay, this is all escalating very quickly. It seems <laughs> it like is. he's, like, calmed down for a minute, and then all of a sudden he's, it's like... Just, boom. Yep. What the hell triggered that in his I, mind? I have no idea. He's, like, it's so taboo anyways, I might as well just, like, do something horrible with I it. I guess. Like, and, like, who's to say that, like, he wasn't already, like, maybe trying drugs or drinking? It said yeah. that he was, you know, drinking and actually did say that he was drinking and doing drugs in college. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just... It does seem very cut and dry. Like, right? this is just the facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, hours later, Fancher escaped the apartment after Kraft left to go to work. So, he was just like, bye, see ya, when I get back home from work. And he's like, peace out. Yeah. What the hell? So, um, actually, a member, like a, like a neighbor or something, had seen Fancher, like, walking around looking disheveled and, like, possibly on drugs. So, that oh. she called an EMS. Fancher was so full of drugs they actually had to pump his stomach oh my god how was he like coherent i know and that's when like he was walking around i mean it's you hear like stories about people getting drugged 
And I, 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 of course, in severe cases, that would happen. But I mean, that, that's got to be a lot. I mean, good for him, though, for having the mind to, like, get out of there. Get out you of know, there. Even, even under the influence of all that shit. That's yeah. terrifying. So at the hospital, Fancher had informed the police, of course, because they're like, the police showing up, um, that he had been given drugs and that he was beaten, but he never disclosed a sexual assault. Well, again... It's the 70s now. It's yeah. a lot of shame in that. And he's It might be young. embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah. So a search of Kraft's apartment was conducted because of all this, the information, stuff like that. And the room, he was living with a roommate, which it never really disclosed in the roommate's name. But um, the roommate was really cooperative and was like, you know, yeah, sure, search the apartment. So there wasn't a lot of evidence, I guess it was, if it, if it were, that anything had really happened involuntarily. Okay. And so, again, they don't know about the sexual assault. There doesn't seem to be evidence of a sexual assault. In fact, Fancher had actually said, well, I took the drugs willingly because yeah. I thought they were just, like, fun party drugs. Like, by all accounts, he kind of, like, put himself in that situation, right. unfortunately. So, unfortunately, no charges were ever filed. And not victim-blaming at all, but it, right. by, by the lack of evidence, it looks that way. Like, he right. was just going along with it, and then he, he kind of backed up. Right, there was no signs of a struggle. There was no, like, real physical evidence that yeah. didn't look like... Well, especially if they didn't do any sort of sexual assault kit or whatever, you know, that they right. couldn't test that. Well, they wouldn't so have known. Exactly. So, so they didn't say anything. Um, so, yeah, no charges were ever filed against him for that one. So in 1971, Kraft had found new employment as a forklift driver in Huntington Beach. Seems to be his favorite place, right? Escalated quickly again. Escalated. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's operating heavy machinery. <laughs> <laughs> I work for Porter Potties. <laughs> so in an effort to further his career, he went to school again at Long Beach State University, um, majoring this time in education. Weird. I know. He's all over the map. Right? He's really, he really is. Well, maybe he's trying to get closer to like the children, the youths. The youths. Those two youths. Those two youths. I guess. I think he just maybe probably felt after being discharged and then he got a Bachelor of Arts, I think that maybe he thought if he had another degree, it would be like he... It's almost like the thing that he was good at was going to school. Yeah. So I think that's really rewarding for him, and I think that's maybe why he decided to do that. So at Long Beach State University, he became acquainted with a one Jeff Graves, a following teacher student from Minnesota who was four years younger than Kraft. I think he was like 19. So they began a relationship together. So on October 5th, 1971, police found the nude body of a 30-year-old and Long Beach resident named Wayne Joseph Duquette. Jenny Duquette. So, unfortunately, Duquette was found by the Ortega Highway. If you're from Long Beach, you might know where that is. Duquette was a bartender at a gay bar named The Stable in nearby Sunset Beach. He was last seen alive on September 20th, 1971, and he had been um, decomposed so much that any signs of foul play on the body wasn't really tall tale. Yeah, because it was, what, like two, two and a half weeks later that he was Right, yeah. He was found on October 5th, and then he was last seen on the 20th of September, so yeah. The cause of death was listed as acute alcohol poisoning due to high blood alcohol levels. Mm. So the toxicology report came back, basically. Mm -hmm. So the first entry in Kraft's personal journey, which was referred to as a scorecard, reads stable. Shut. Hold on. This is news. He has, like, documentation? Well, remember, this is his first murder. But he does have a journal, a personal journal, that was later discovered. And the first words in the journal just say stable. And that I remember it's horrifying. that Duquette worked at the stable. Yeah. The game. Also, he was just like going to school to be a teacher and then all of a sudden he just killed a dude. 
exactly. It's so out of the blue. It's so strange. What the hell? So this, of course, later on would leave investigators to believe that Duquette was Kraft's very first murder victim. Wow. Fifteen months after the murder of Duquette, Kraft killed a 20-year-old Marine named Edward Daniel Moore. Moore was last seen leaving the barracks at Camp Pendleton on December 24th, 1972. His body was found beside the 405 freeway in Seal Beach during the early hours of December 26th. So two days later. Mm Mm-hmm. Abrasions on Moore's body indicated that he had been pushed from a moving vehicle. An autopsy revealed that he had been bound at the wrist, ankles, and then beaten with a blunt instrument about the face before being garroted. What's that? It's when you have, like, a tourniquet around your neck. Oh, yeah. Um, That's awful. So, this is content warning here. The body had also exhibited numerous bite marks, but the most intriguing part about the discovery of the body was that a sock was placed... Inside of him. Inside of him. Like his... In, his, in his rectum. Why? We'll get to that. Oh my god. Like, that's I'm, the most, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to ask, but I was thinking mouth. That's why I was confused. Because no. you know sometimes they st- some, some mm-hmm. people will stuff things. Yeah. Oh my god, that's awful. I might just say inside so that everybody knows what we're saying and I don't have to say rectum every five seconds, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so that becomes his, like, MO. We will see. Uh-huh. So early forensic sketches of a second unidentified male was located in Wilmington, California. Six weeks after the murder of Moore on February 6, 1973, the body of an unidentified male estimated between 17 and 25 years old was found alongside the Terminal Island Freeway in Wilmington. Wonder why they consider him to be the freeway killer. Yeah. So this victim had been strangled with a ligature and also had a sock inserted inside of him. Oh my gosh. Two months later, on April 14th, the body of a 17-year-old Kevin Clark Bailey was found beside a road in Huntington Beach. Bailey had been emasculated and sodomized prior to his murder. By July 28th, a further two more victims had been murdered. One was an unidentified youth whose dismembered body was found in Wilmington on April 22nd. The other was a 20-year-old man named Ronnie Jean Weeb, whose strangled body was discarded besides an on-ramp of, four, of the 405 freeway on July 30th. This is two days after he had disappeared. Welt marks on Weeb's wrist and ankles suggest that he had been bound and potentially suspended from a device before his murder. Oh my god. How is so again, he this just is like, getting away with... This is all over the wall. It's all over the place, right? There's like... it's Some people have been bound. Some people haven't. Some people have been emasculated. Some people haven't. Um, But most all of them have been discarded by major highways or on major roads. Kraft is also known to have killed at least one more in 1973. The victim was a 23-year-old bisexual art student named Vincent Cruz Mestas, whose body was found in the San Bernardino Mountains on December 29th. This is the last of that year. Mm -hmm. The victim's sock had been inserted inside of him. Mestas' hands had been severed from his body and were never found. Um, that's terrifying. Which is, like, the first one that he's ever severed hands on. Yeah, what, yeah. and also, dental records, too, so, like, what is the purpose of What's that? What's the purpose? Like, yeah. literally. So, by November 1974, five more victims have been found beside either major roadways in Southern California or major cross-sections. Three of these victims have been conclusively linked to the same killer. Clearly, there's a few MOs that are happening, mm-hmm. like with the socks or maybe being bound. Two of these victims, 20-year-old Malcolm Eugene Little and 19-year-old James Dale Reeves, had each been found beside freeways with foreign objects inserted into their bodies. 
whereas the body of the third victim, which was 18-year-old Marine Roger Edward Dickerson, bore evidence of bite marks much like the other victims had. Yeah. So it almost seems like he's somehow luring these young men to him, drugging them or getting them extremely intoxicated and then doing what he's doing. Right. And what's interesting is, like, they're all, like, they all contain at least one of his MOs, but he has, like, three or four. Yeah. Which is incredible, I think, because it's usually the same way every time. Yeah. With most, until they progress. Yeah. But this is kind of like, some are bound, some have socks, some have bite marks, some have, but they're all the same. It's interesting. So on January 3rd, 1975... Crafts had abducted and murdered a 17-year-old high school student named John Lyris. The youth was last seen boarding a bus in Long Beach, and he was his strangled body was found the following day, discarded at Sunset Beach with a foreign object protruding. Drag marks along the beach close to where his body were found suggested that possibly two individuals had carried Lyra's body to the water. Huh. So I guess they see, like, two people and then him, right? Yeah. In the sand. Two weeks after this murder, on January 17th, the body of a 21-year-old named Craig... I guess it's Jonatus, Jonatus, was found discarded in the parking lot of a Golden Sales Hotel, and which is interesting because I feel like this is the first hotel mm-hmm. near the Pacific Coast Highway, so it was pretty much right off the highway. So what are investigators doing about all these bodies? Are they just like, oh, we just have a killer on the <laughs> oh, loose? Because it doesn't seem got like... Got another one. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem like they're really doing much to kind of pinpoint who's Yeah, I'm this. not entirely sure. Um, I mean, we'll get to the investigation here in a little bit, but this is just like... This is all happening... Like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Very, very quick. I mean, I mean, we're probably already at probably 15, 20, maybe 15 mm-hmm. victims. Janitis had been strangled um, with string, possibly a shoelace, is what they say, but very little else was done to his body. By January 1975, a total of 14 victims by this point. They've all been found discarded across separate parts of the counties, but all close to highways. Um, and this is over the, the the total amount of about three years. So it had all been linked to the same killer, given the different MOs. All victims had been Caucasian males with similar characteristics physically. On January 24th, homicide investigators from several, several jurisdictions in Southern California convened in Orange County to discuss the progress. Oh, finally. Finally, right? <laughs> After three years. Yeah. No big deal. An FBI profile of the killer was read to the investigators describing the individual as methodical, an organized lust killer of above-average intelligence who exhibited an indifference to, quote, the interests and welfares of society. So, him. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty I spot think, on. I, it seems to me like what's happening here, and this is just me speculating, that maybe he's been told, you know, by military and his family that his sexual status is incorrect and so maybe he's kind of feeling like well i'm gonna get off the way that i want to but then no one can know about it or no one yeah you know and not no one can know but i'm gonna he maybe he feels guilty for feeling that way and getting enjoyment out of that and right. so he in turn kills the people that he is you know engaging in that stuff with yeah and that's a that's a really sound point because honestly like he like we had discussed that uh, maybe a few of these victims had come from Huntington Beach and maybe it was known to be a gay spot, you know, or some of these people, you know, might have been speculated to be gay or, you know, clearly he was already seeing hustlers. So maybe that's kind of it, you know. I mean, we all know the police and investigators have a tendency to not, you know, really look into if somebody has a high risk lifestyle mm-hmm. that, you know, usually a lot of that stuff gets pushed aside. 
So maybe it wasn't until they started making the MO connections and they're yeah. like, oh, wow, all of these kids are within this age range. All yeah. of them look the same. All of them, you know, that they realize that it's the same person doing these things. So during the investigation, um, most of these detectives realized that the murderers, they might be more than one murderer. So it was another, another really interesting thing is that it's one or more, one or more perpetrators that have military background. And the reason they believe this is because two of the victims had had paper tissue residue in their nostrils. Okay. And it's a procedure to be known to use in the military to protect from, like, expelling when somebody passes. Meaning, like, blood or brain matter or whatever, right? That was also the reason that they thought that socks were being inserted, is that it's to keep from the body purging before you can get it to another location. That's... Disgusting. But that's how they knew that they were military. That's, Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting, but that's also disgusting. It's awful, but it sounded like from the beginning it might just be something that's like, has no rhyme or reason. Yeah. But it actually has a huge reason. Yeah. And it's actually part of the reason why they developed the, you know, prof- profile, yeah. the FBI profile. So I thought that was interesting. So on the evening of March 29th, 1975, Croft had lured two youths, <laughs> two youths, two youths. Keith Crotwell and Kent May from a Long Beach parking lot into his Ford Mustang. These were given beer and Valium as Kraft drove in apparently, like, random, aimless way. Like, he was just driving around, probably just waiting for them to pass out. Mm-hmm. So May later recalled feeling catatonic. Later be- recalled. Yeah. So he's the first survivor. Oh, so really. now he has someone that can tell this is the guy. Exactly. So he said that he started feeling catatonic before he eventually passed out in the car. So in the parking lot where Crotwell and May, ha- May had last been seen, two friends of the kids had observed a distinctive black and white Mustang that pulled in and stopped before the driver leaned across. I- I'm assuming that it's like a bench seat okay. because he leans across the two kids, opens up the passenger side door, and forces May out. Okay. Kent May. So, and then he speeds away. So he took Cromwell with him. Oh, no. Yeah. That's probably terrifying. And so the kids had, you know, come over or whatever and assisted May. Mm-hmm. So on May 8th, Crotwell's skull was found near a jetty close to the Long Beach Marina. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine being this May guy that, like, why did he choose the other guy? The other guy. Like, why, why did I get to survive? Yeah. I guess maybe he thought it would be too much to have two yeah, people. But I don't know. I imagine that. Like, because they got in the car that way. The other guy was closer to him. Maybe it was easier. Maybe. Oh, my God. That's or so maybe scary. one just fit a description a little bit yeah. more that he wanted him to be his victim. Talk about survival's guilt, survivor's guilt. Yeah. So the rest of his body was found six months later. Oh, After awful. hearing the news, the two friends that had witnessed the Mustang, of course, approached the police about it. And they suspected that he was a patron of the Belmont Shore Gay Bar. Okay. So he, they had recognized this guy or recognized his car. They found the car less than one mile away from their their own homes. And they had written down the license plate, like the license plate information, and then given it to the police. And Smart. the vehicle was registered to Randy Craft. Oh, so he's making mistakes. Dummy. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. Idiot. <laughs> So Long Beach police, of course, questioned Kraft about Crotwell's abduction and the murder on May 19th of that year, 1975. Initially, he denied ever have meeting Crotwell or May at the police, but the police were, of course, skeptical, yeah. knowing that there was witnesses. And 
So therefore, like, and eventually Kraft did admit that on or around March 29th, that he had encountered two kids on the Long Beach, in the Long Beach parking lot and had basically persuaded to them to drink with him and to partake in consuming drugs. So at first he's like, I have no idea about any of this. Oh, wait, I did lure two wait children into my car. Wait a minute, I do car. remember those kids. <laughs> I drove around aimlessly for hours with him Lord hanging God. out in the... Yeah. And one just decided to just jump out of the car. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> so, uh, he, again, he did admit to consuming Valium and drinking alcohol while they drove around. He did claim that he had returned May safely to the parking lot and then driven Crotwell to a side, like, a side road that was kind of close to his own house. But that eventually the car had, like, stalled out or gotten stuck in an embankment. So then he claimed that he had, him being Kraft, that he had walked to the nearest gas station to, like, call for help. And then by the time he had gotten back to the car, Crotwell was gone. Oh, he was just gone. He was just gone. Disappeared. Yeah. He was like, he must have hitchhiked somewhere. Maybe he got scared because he knew he was drunk and he was a kid or whatever it was. What a likely story. And then he left. So Kraft's roommate did confirm that Kraft did call him from a payphone that night um, and that he claimed that his vehicle was stuck. And detectives had remained pretty much unconvinced of his version of things. Yeah. So the following week, two detectives attempted to file homicide charges against him. However, Los Angeles District Attorney's Office had declined, citing that the coroner's conclusion of the autopsy from the remains thus far, which was only the skull, Crotwell's skull, there basically wasn't enough evidence saying that he had ever been murdered. And since his skull was found by the jetties, they're like, well, he could have drowned. Doesn't mean that he was murdered. Unfortunately, (laughs) that's like good for Kraft. Mm -hmm. So perhaps because he had been questioned as a suspect in Crotwell's murder, he pretty much slowed down on killing for a little Mm -hmm. bit. He didn't kill anybody until the following summer. Oh, wow. Good for him. What a tragedy. So all throughout the summer of 1975, because I think that was in May. So not again until December 31st, when he abducted a 22-year-old Mark Hall in San Juan Capistrano. On New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve. So unfortunately, in this instance, this was later described by prosecutors as the worst of all of Kraft's murders. Oh, no. And it's really bad. I'm going to detail in the kindest way possible what happened to Hall. Facts are important. Yeah. Hardcore content warning. So Hall was driven to a remote canyon where he was bound to a tree. Mm-hmm. The autopsy listed the cause of death as asphyxiation caused by leaves and earth found lodged into his throat. Oh. So he was suffocated by, yeah, forcefully asphyxiated. Mm-hmm. The autopsy had also revealed that Hall had been sodomized, had been emasculated. Basically, his, his own genitals were inserted into him. Oh my gosh. Additionally, his chest scrotum, nose, cheeks had all been burned with an automobile cigarette lighter. This was also used to destroy his eyes. Like oh my he was God, this poor horribly thing. tortured. The autopsy report also listed numerous incisions on his legs, which had been inflicted by broken bottles, broken glass. Forensic experts were able to determine that Hall had been alive through most of his torture. Oh my god. Oh my god, that is absolutely Isn't that awful? So it's like, again, you talk about the way that he... Like, what is his MO? Other than some very obvious ones, like the insertions and stuff. But other than that, it's like, burned with cigarette lighters? Like, you know, things like that. Like, it's, it's definitely... It's very intense. Yeah. 
So by 1967, Kraft had ended his relationship with Graves, and shortly thereafter, he began a relationship with a 19-year-old apprentice baker named Jeff Sealing. So the couple uh, shortly thereafter moved to Laguna Hills. Although neither man was ever inclined towards monogamy, the couple considered their relationship to be permanent. So they, they did enjoy each other's company. Okay. Sealing later told investigators that he and Kraft regularly picked up and propositioned hitchhikers who, if willing, would accompany them to their apartment for a lovely menage a trois. Okay. So they were definitely in an open relationship. That's all good and normal, whatever you're into, but yeah, don't kill people. But just don't kill people. Yeah, yeah of course. Sealing was always adamant that Kraft was never abusive towards him either, which okay. is really interesting. Very he never interesting. raged or anything like that, right? Hmm. Yeah. He never had violent tendencies. And Kraft. Graves said the same thing. I'm assuming so. It seemed like him and Graves were together for quite a few years. Yeah. During this whole time that he was killing, they were he was with Graves? For three years about, yeah. Three or four years that he was with Graves. Didn't realize that. And then he upgraded to a 19-year-old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Although I think Graves was younger when he first start, like, started dating him, too. Because I think they met in college. What a creepo. Yeah. So Kraft's relationship with Sealing was also believed to be a huge contributing factor into why there weren't as many murders. Okay. So it seemed like he, like, Sealing probably really filled up that space in Kraft's head, right? Yeah. So um, he didn't kill until the end of... So basically almost a year went past. Okay. Because I think the last one was December 31st, and so this is in 75. This is now 76, December 10th, so almost okay. a year. The body of the victim was 19-year-old Paul Joseph Fuchs. I knew how to pronounce that name because they used to have a Fuchs. Hey, Fuchs. Hey, Fuchs. Hey, Fuchs. <laughs> um, and his body has never been found. Nonetheless, Fuchs's name was clearly listed on Kraft's scorecard, like oh in his journal. Oh, my God. That's so creepy. I forgot about that. This is why Kraft doesn't like to be referred to as the freeway killer. Okay. Because he was basically confused with someone else that was also doing the same things oh god forbid you're getting confused with another fucking murderous yeah. <laughs> asshole you know we'll just call you the little dick murderer how's that we'll just call you little dick <laughs> little dick you're the little dick murderer little dick. there little, you go yeah there's your new name if you don't like the freeway killer <laughs> following the december the december 1976 murder of fuchs Kraft is not known to a kill to kill again for another 16 months that's so interesting to me that people can take, like, an extended hiatus off of right? their urges. Like, that sounds bad the void of No, it, I mean, still. like, he might... I mean, Sealing never said that he was ever abusive towards him, but maybe their open relationship kind of helped fill that need a little bit. And he didn't feel like he had to kill because he was... He was all, he's getting this. gratification through his relationship. God, that's fucked up. It's interesting. So, again, he wasn't, he didn't kill for another 16 months, but on January 3rd, 1978, homicide investigators again convened to discuss the progress in their relation to the manhunt for the still unidentified killer. Yeah. By this time, investigators knew that there was now more than one murderer at large. In the previous July, police had arrested Patrick Kearney, who subsequently confessed to the murders of 28 boys and young men. Many of them he had dissected and discarded in trash bags besides freeways. Okay. In California. This is the real freeway killer. Right. We, should, we need to cover him. Right. Although Kraft had dismembered some of his victims, he never killed any of his victims by shooting them in the temple like Kearney did. So okay. that was his MO. Additionally, Kearney had never tortured any of his victims, and his modus operandi differed significantly from Kraft's, and the investigators were certain at that time that 
the unrelated killer was at large. Okay. On April 16th, 1978, Kraft had abducted an 18-year-old Marine named Scott Michael Hughes. Hughes was, of course, given tons of Valium mm-hmm. before Kraft ultimately mutilated him and, oh, no. yeah, and, and strangled him. Um, with a ligature, ligature. He clothed his body and then mm-hmm. missing only his shoelace, the one, the thing that, that he used to strangle him. Mm-hmm. He discarded him by a freeway on an on-ramp in Anaheim. So two months later, on June 11th, the body of their 23-year-old Roland Gerald Young was found near a San Diego freeway. Mm-hmm. Young had been emasculated before being stabbed to death. Abrasions on his body indicated that he had been pushed from a vehicle traveling at a high speed. That's Again, like, it's another one of those yeah. MOs, but it's so strange. It's not like the others. Eight days later, the body of a 20-year-old Marine named Richard Allen Keith was found discarded beside a road in, I guess it's Moulton Parkway. Welts on Keith's wrist indicated that he had been bound and strangled with a ligature. This is, like, months in between, and then all of a sudden it's, like, weeks, and he's had three victims. Yeah. That's so weird. The uh, So, content warning. Another indication about how horribly he treated Keith. While he was being strangled, he was actually drowning because he was trying to regurgitate because he was so fucked up on pills and alcohol. Yeah. So, oh, so he So, okay. the cause of death was actually drowning. Oh, that's awful. While being strangled. That's Ugh. horrible. So, three weeks after the murder of Keith, on July 6th, Kraft killed a 23-year-old hitchhiker named, and that sounds a little silly, but Keith was the former victim's last name. This is the... The next victim's name, his first name is Keith, so his last name is Klingbell. So Klingbell had ingested large doses of drugs, of course, and alcohol before he was strangled with his own shoelace, and his body was discarded beside uh, Interstate 5. Although Klingbell was still alive when he was discovered, he would die shortly after what? his yeah after his admission to Mission County Hospital, Community oh. Hospital. A subsequent autopsy revealed that prior to his strangulation, he had been mutilated. Basically, he had been seared with another cigarette lighter, like a car lighter. Two months later, on September 29th, the body of a 20-year-old Richard Anthony Crosby was found discarded 200 yards north of Highway 71 in San Bernardino. Crosby had disappeared the previous day since he was hitchhiking home from a theater in Torrance. He had been suffocated, and he was also mutilated as well and burned with a cigarette lighter. Like, what the fuck are investigators doing? Like, how do you, like, I mean, you have to know that this is the same person, but... They're just like, oh, well... Where's Highway Patrol? Shouldn't there be somebody, like, watching? I mean, I guess there's, like, a billion highways in California. There's also a billion police officers. That's true. Like, dude, literally, California police officers... Yeah. Grind my gears. All of them. Especially the LAPD. Especially in the 70s. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the last known victim murdered in 1978 was a 20... one-year-old Long Beach truck driver named Joseph Michael Enderbitten, whose castrated body was found beside the San Diego freeway on November 18th, 1978. In addition to having been castrated, Enderbitten had been violated with a foreign object and had suffered similar burns to the one that Mike Hall, the really Mm -hmm. bad one. Um, He had similar wounds inflicted on him, and his cause of death was listed as suffocation. Oh, my God. So he abducted a 20-year-old Marine named Donnie Harold Trizzle, whose body was thrown from a moving vehicle on the 45 freeway. The cause of death was listed as acute alcohol poisoning, although rope and burn marks did indicate that Trizzle had been bound and tortured prior to his body being discarded. And it's just, like, one right after the other. It's just insane. There's no, like, rhyme or reason to it. It's not. It's like, oh, you're a Caucasian young male. Cool. Dead. Seriously. Two months later, on August 9th, this is 79 again, 
The dismembered remains of an unidentified male, estimated between 18 and 30, was found in two trash bags behind a Union 76 gas station in Long Beach. The entry on Kraft's scorecard simply reads 76, and it is believed to be referring to this victim. Although only the head, torso, and left leg of this victim were found, he, like several others, had a, a sock inserted into himself. Two weeks later, on September 14th, the body of 20-year-old Gregory Wallace Jolly was found in Lake Arrowhead. Jolly had been emasculated, and his head and legs had been severed after death. Oh, my God. Later, his personal possessions were found in Kraft's home. Can you imagine finding this journal, and, like, literally it just looks like a bullet points of, like, random words? <laughs> yeah. And then realizing what it's connected to? It looks like Death Note, like the Death Note journal. That's, God, that's so terrifying. It is. On November 24th, 1979... A 15-year-old Santa Ana youth named Jeffrey Sayer is believed to have been abducted and murdered by Kraft. Sayer was last seen at a bus stop in Westminster while returning home from a date with his girlfriend. 15? You just returned, taking yeah. the bus? Yeah. I guess it's 70, yeah. 70s. 70s. The entry in Kraft's scorecard just said Westminster date. So he definitely knew that he was out on a date with his girlfriend That's and probably followed him. fucking creepy. Oh, yeah. On February 18, 1980, the decapitated body of a 19-year-old Marine named Mark Allen Marsh was found near the Templin Highway. Marsh was last seen hitchhiking towards Buena Park. His hands had been severed from his body after death. Jesus. It's so much. It's, it's just so much. so much. Are we almost done with the victims? That's a lot. No. <laughs> no. Jeez. There's 37 pages of research. Jeez. Well, this is definitely going to be a two-parter. Yeah, I think so. So that wraps up 1979. We're moving on to 1980. It's been busy. In the summer of 1980, Kraft traveled up to the neighboring state of Oregon in an ex on an extended business trip. What business, you ask? During this trip, he lived in a uh, small town that was close to Portland. Before returning to California in August, he is believed to have been to have murdered at least two victims there, both of whom were listed on his scorecard with cryptic references, including the word Portland. Which they don't tell you what, just it just says that they both have Portland next to yeah. whatever it else it said. So the first victim is a 17-year-old Denver youth named Michael Sean O'Fallon. He was killed on July 17th. O'Fallon had been on a solo hitchhiking trip across the U.S. and Canada prior to his enrollment at college at the time of his murder. He had consumed both alcohol and Valium before he was strangled. O'Fallon's nude and tied-up body was discarded 10 miles south of Salem. O'Fallon was listed on Kraft's scorecard as Portland, Denver. So I guess because he was... In Portland and from Denver. Yeah. O'Fallon's camera that had that was inscribed with his mother's initials was later found in Kraft's garage. So he oh kept his camera. What an asshole. So the following day, Kraft is believed to have killed a man estimated between 35 and 45. What? Which is totally out of whack, right? Yeah. Like, not even, not even what he's been doing. But his body was found beside a freeway in the city of Woodburn. This victim listed as Portland Elk okay. on Kraft's scorecard had ingested a toxic level of Valium and Tylenol before he was strangled to death. So a toxic level would almost kill you. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe so, he does that on purpose so that they're kind of incapacitated and then he has a lot easier time doing mm -hmm. what he wants to do, which is awful. On September 3rd, 1980, one month after Kraft returned to California from Oregon, the body of 19-year-old Marine named Robert Loggins was found discarded in trash bags close to the El Toro Marine Air Base. Loggins had been seen alive by two fellow Marines close to the Pacific Coast Highway on August 23rd. Photographs and negatives subsequently found in Kraft's possession show Loggins in Kraft's living room, slumped fully clothed on his sofa, apparently intoxicated. Oh, no. And various, like, 
nude and pornographic postures. Ew. All of these pictures depicted Loggins with his eyes closed. It is unknown whether or not the victim was alive or dead at the time that these photos were taken. Oh my god, that's so eerie. Isn't Imagine that finding those photos. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's so creepy. I wonder if they were taken by the other guy's camera. Probably. I wonder what kind of camera that guy had. On April 10th, 1981, the body of a 17-year-old youth named Michael Cluck was found beside Interstate 5 Freeway close to Goshen, Oregon. Cluck had been abducted while hitchhiking from Kent, Washington to Bakersfield, California, the day prior to his body being discovered. The youth had been killed by 31 blunt force blows to the head, which destroyed the back of his skull. 31 blows to the head. Yeah. How much of a monster do you have to be? That is, if you sit here and hit your hand 31 31 times, times, you know how long that takes? That is terrible. And again, it's, okay, is it blunt force? Is it asphyxiation? Is it strangulation? Is it... Like, what is it? This guy has problems. I know. I I kind of wish that there was, like, a little bit more about his background because, I mean, I don't know. Is it just that, that he just felt so repressed growing up that he lashes he out violently? Decent enough childhood. I guess not. Jesus. Right? Cluck had also been sodomized, of course, and beaten, kicked, and then he was burned. Cluck was believed to have been recorded on Kraft's scorecard as Portland blood due to the extensive blood and debris found at the murder scene. Oh my god. At the time of the murder, Kraft had once again been sent on an assignment to Oregon by his employers. In addition, on the day Cluck's body was discovered, Kraft visited Lane County Hospital to receive treatment for a bruised foot. Oh my god. <laughs> what a so baby. Sad. Yeah, it hurts to have a bruise. It also hurts to be brutally fucking <laughs> mutilated by Isn't another fucking awful? I don't even want to call him a human. Yeah. Like, I get I've fucked. Heard... I hope you have a bruise on the inside of your eyeball oh, for the rest seriously. of your life. Oh, that rem- like total sidebar, but I was watching this video where a woman had left her kid in a hot car by himself and was oh. was rescued. And then complained about the heat in the yes, back of the patrol. Car. In the back of the patrol, she's like, Can somebody put some air back here? It's so hot. Oh my god. <laughs> fucking bitch. So fucking annoying. Ugh. Four months after Cluck's murder on August 20th, 1981, the partially clothed body of a 17-year-old male prostitute, Christopher Allen Williams, was found in San Bernardino Mountains. William had ingested both benzodiazepines and other drugs, and he was found with tissue tissue paper lodged deep into his nostrils, causing him to actually choke to death on his own mucus. Oh. That's horrible. That sounds really horrible. By the early ni- by early 1982, the relationship between Kraft and Sealing had become marred by frequent fights and episodes of temporary separation. In efforts to resolve their personal differences, the couple began attending weekly counseling sessions in Huntington Beach. That's not going to help you, sweetie. You're a fucking no, murderer. Exactly. And this the guy kitchen has no idea. <laughs> right. So these sessions began on June 22nd, 1982. And I feel like that's a very important date. Okay. Following complaints of residents from Echo Park regarding a foul odor emanating from the direction of the Hollywood Freeway on July 29th, no. 1982, a Caltrans employee found a decaying body of a 14-year-old Pittsburgh youth named oh, Raymond Davis. No. 14. Baby. Oh, he was discarded along the Rampar- Rampart Boulevard off-ramp. Rudimentary efforts have been made to conceal Davis's body beneath leaves and soil and such. He had last been seen alive in Echo Park on June 17th, and he was searching for his missing dog. Mm-hmm. The youth's wrist had been knotted uh, behind his back in much the same manner that um, O'Fallon had been two years previously. He had been strangled to death with his own shoelace, which again, clear MO. Mm-hmm. 
The entry on Croft's scorecard reads dog, and it believes to refer to to Davis looking for his dog. Which is, like, terrifying. Yeah. Your dog got out, you're just looking for him, and then you get this yeah. bullshit of fate. I think that his entries are kind of creepy. Like, what he chooses to describe. Yeah. Like, date or yeah. dog. Like, that's really so interesting. So you took the time to learn about To learn these about things. them. Yeah. So just 40 feet from Davis's body, the same Caltrans crew had also found the body of a 16-year-old, Robert Avila. What? Like, right next to each other. At the same time? Yes. Same day. Oh my god, he's getting ballsy as hell. Avila had been missing since July 21st, and his body was also markingly decomposed. He had been strangled to death with the length of stereo speaker wire. Oh my god. So it's kind of interesting. It's like he strangles, but he only strangles with what he finds, yeah, which I find he's interesting. Not prepared he's not prepared like, that, like beforehand, right? Kraft is not known to have killed again until I like that. That's like a theme that yeah. I keep saying. Kraft is not known to kill again until November first, nineteen eighty-two, when he abducts and murders a twenty-four-year-old Modesto man named Arnie Michael Lane. Lane was seen hitchhiking towards Orange County in search of work. His body is not found until January 1984. So this was November. So that's not, that's a year and some change. He was discarded on a hillside close to the town of Ramona. Four weeks after Lane's murder, the semi-new body of a 26-year-old Brian Witcher was dumped from a moving vehicle along Interstate 5, close to the city of Wilsonville, Oregon. Witcher had ingested high levels of both alcohol and Valium, but died of asphyxiation. On on December 3rd, 1982, a 29-year-old carpenter named Anthony Jose Silvera disappeared while hitchhiking towards Medford. His body was found two weeks later, strangled, sodomized, and evidently violated with a foreign object prior to his murder. At the time of the murders of both Witcher and Silvera, Kraft was again to known how to have been in Oregon on a business trip. Um, and that concluded the day of Silvera's death. So the last day that he was there is the day that he died. Mm-hmm. On December 4th, Kraft drove from Portland to Seattle to visit friends because oh, he's so social. He's so popular. He's so popular. During his v- brief visit, he was observed wearing a military jacket inscribed with the name Silvera. Oh my God. He was wearing what his jacket. A motherfucking narcissistic <laughs> piece of shit. On December 5th, Kraft flew from Seattle to Grand Rapids, Michigan, again on a business trip. Shout out to Grand Rapids! (laughs) Two days after his arrival in Grand Rapids, Kraft encountered cousins Dennis Alt and Christopher Schoborn at a seminar in Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. Kraft was seen talking with, with the pair in the hotel's reception area shortly before midnight. Their bodies were discovered on December 9th in an open field close to the hotel. Both victims had been supplied with alcohol and Valium prior to their sodomy and murder and the bodies have been arranged in a sexually suggestive position oh my god alt at age 24 had died of asphyxiation whereas showborn at age 20 had been strangled to death with his own belt oh my god both victims were recorded upon craft's scoreboard in a single entry reading gr2 oh my like god the grand rapids 2 what a dick yeah a set of keys belonging to showborn plus silvera's military jacket were left by craft in the hotel room so he just left those things This behind. guy is, like, really grinding my fucking yeah. gears. <laughs> on December 8th, Kraft traveled from Michigan to Portland. Within 24 hours of his return to Oregon, he had killed a 19-year-old hitchhiker named Lance Tags. Tags had been last seen hitchhiking from the city of Tigrid to the home of his relative in Los Angeles on December 8th. His body was discovered the following day, discarded along a rural road in... 
Clackamas County. <laughs> this is Timex. Oh my god. Clack Clackamas. Because <laughs> Timex said Clackamas sounds like something like like that you would celebrate in lieu of Christmas. Yeah. But like you only eat mashed potatoes all day or you <laughs> like you only get mac and cheese and like it's just Clackamas. You get like the worst gifts, like socks. <laughs> And it sounds, sounds awful. Anyways, he was discarded along a rural road in Clackamas County, close to where the body of Witcher had been found just two weeks earlier. As with Alt and Showborn, Tags had consumed alcohol with Valium prior to his murder, although Tags had died of suffocation caused by a sock being thrusted down his throat. Oh my god. So that's how he had died. So noting the passage of time between the periods of activity when bodies of young males had been found discarded near mass transportation with alcohol or pharmaceuticals in their bloodstream in Oregon, investigators are theorizing at this point that their killer resides in another state and just strikes in Oregon only when on business. So they know that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that they know so much about him, but oh, they don't but they know who it is. Don't, they're just not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they I mean, their profiles are on point. Following the murders of Silvera, Witcher, and Tags, Oregon investigators relayed details of the murder to police in other states, describing the MO of the killer um, that they were seeking, and then requesting feedback from police officers that have any other unsolved murders of young males, you know, with similar things. And let me guess, the investigators in California were like, nah, not related. (laughs) No, not really. We caught that guy already. (laughs) A response from Southern California counties was swift. The pattern of killings was identical to victims linked to the unknown killer in California. Six Oregon murders committed by Kraft, and they were thus linked to the murders that had been committed in California. So they knew that. Yeah. Hmm. Kraft did not kill again until January 27th, 1983. He abducted a 21-year-old hitchhiker named Eric Church. The victim was last seen alive hitchhiking from Orange County to Sacramento the day prior to his murder. His body was found discarded along I-605. An autopsy concluded the church had consumed high levels of alcohol and Valium, of course, and that he... Where is this guy getting so much Valium? Right? You had to have a prescription. (laughs) I just thought that. I was like, you would have to have a prescription for Valium. So why aren't they like, hey, let's find all the people in this county that have a prescription for For Valium, Valium. and they keep refilling it every fucking month? Who's buying mass amounts of Valium? Literally. I could have solved this motherfucking (laughs) case faster than them. (laughs) Rope marks on Church's wrist indicated that he had been struggling against his restraints before he died of a combination of ligature, strangulation, and blows to the side of the skull. So he's he's becoming a blunt force person. Yeah. On February 12th, Kraft had killed two Buena Park men, an 18-year-old named Jeffrey Nelson and a 20-year-old named Roger Duvall. Two men were last seen outside of the house of a friend named Bryce Wilson shortly after midnight when they told Wilson that they intended to purchase something to eat. Hungry. Nelson's new body was then found alongside an off-ramp close to the Garden Grove Freeway several hours after he and Duvall were last seen. He had been emasculated, strangulated, and thrown from a moving vehicle. Duvall's body was found the following day, discarded down a mountainside close to Mount Baldy in San Bernardino County. We have a Mount Baldy here in Texas. We do? Mm -hmm. At Green. At At Garner State Park. Mount Baldy. Um, unfortunately, Duvall had been bound, sodomized, strangulated, again, all part of that MO. As had been the case with Nelson, Duvall had also ingested alcohol and pharmaceuticals prior to the murder. So at 1 a.m. on May 14th, 1983, two California Highway Patrol officers had observed a Toyota Celica driving erratically on Interstate 5 in Orange County in the community of Mission Viejo. Observing the vehicle performing an illegal le- lane change, the officers, suspecting that the motorist may have been driving under the influence, 
signal for the vehicle to stop. The driver slowed the vehicle to a halt and exited the car, and as he did, he contained, discarded the contents of a beer bottle, mm-hmm. like, just pouring it out onto the pavement. Officer Michael Sterling met the individual who identified himself as Randy Kraft. At the front of his patrol car, he had taken Kraft, and he realized that his jeans were unbuttoned. Mm. Sterling had Kraft perform a field sobriety test, which he failed, and then arrested Kraft for drunk driving. Wow. Not even knowing he has, like, one (laughs) of the worst serial killers in the world in his hands. By this point, he had to have, like, 30 murders, if not more. Sterling's partner, Sergeant Michael Howard, approached the Celica and observed a young man in the passenger seat. No. Slumped over with his eyes closed. He had been partially covered by a jacket. Several empty Moosehead beer bottles and an open prescription of lorazepam tablets were strewn all around his feet. Wow. Howard attempted to wake the man. Receiving no response, Howard attempted to rouse the man by shaking his arm, only to know that the individual had a very low body temperature. Upon checking for a pulse, Howard noticed that the man was dead. There was a ligature mark visible around his neck. Lifting the jacket from the victim's lap, Howard noticed that the victim's jeans had been opened to expose himself. In addition, the victim's hands had been bound with a shoelace, and his wrists bore evidence of welt marks. Later identified as Terry Lee Gambrel, a 25-year-old Marine who was stationed at El Toro Air Base, the victim had been strangled to death. They, so he was just that. driving around with this dead body in the passenger Erratically. seat. Well, if you think about the MO, he might have been he might have been about to toss him out. Yeah, of course. On the freeway. So he's driving erratically, just fucking off or whatever, and then at a high speed. So this is his last kill. And that's where we're gonna stop. Oh my god, <laughs> this is getting so good. Okay, so it's so much information. It's a it lot is. of victims, but I, I really, honestly, I did want to take the time to. I, I know I butchered a few of those names, but I wanted to take the time and like actually say each one of the victims' of names because it's very important. If you, if you would sit here and list off every single one of his victims, it would take a few minutes, and that's so compelling to the piece of shit that this guy is. Yeah. And that's why we felt it was really important to include all that detail. Yeah, of course. So we are going to do a two-parter for this episode, um, but hopefully we will have it coming out very shortly after this, so you won't have to wait too, too long for that second part. But we do want to keep you waiting. So what are we going to talk about in part two? We are going to be talking about how the investigators find the scorecard, which I think is really intriguing, um, and just the pretty much the trial process. All right. I'm really excited to hear about this. So in the meantime, you guys can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. We do have a Twitter at Killer Diagnosis. We also have a Patreon set up, patreon.com slash Diagnosing a Killer. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please reach out to us. We also have an email, uh, diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. And we will see you soon for part two. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. never gonna get through this i swear <laughs> can i have 37 pages of research <laughs> I'm sorry. it's okay. okay so like it's a lot <laughs> okay uh, uh let me read this what was that i went uh and then uh certainly <laughs> <laughs> You know, you talk about Rooflin and things like that, and usually... What did you say? Rooflin? 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 Roofies? <laughs>
It's called Rohypnol. Rohypnol? Rooflins. Rooflins? 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 It's called Rohypnol. Roofline? A roofline. <laughs> Putting that in the fucking. <laughs> don't, I wanna, don't wanna sound I'm dumb. Putting that in the bloopers. <laughs> okay, what are the. Rooflin? Rooflin? Just googled roofline. R O O F L I N E. It's not acute, it's obtuse. It's a lot. It's large. Yeah. Like an acute angle and an obtuse angle. Mm-hmm. It was. You didn't laugh. I don't think it was funny. Okay. I think it's in July 28th. By July 28th. By July 28th. Whose body was found in San Bernardino. I cannot talk today. If that's being said, can I go take an allergy pill? Yeah. Can you see if there's like Tums or something? Like a 19 year old. <sighs> Recording. Please. So, for like the 20th time. Named, 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 named. Oh my god, I feel like shit. Interbitten? God, I cannot talk today. It's okay. It's gotta be the caffeine. I just not for Last known victim. Sorry. There's no like. Sorry. Yeah, it's the 70s. I keep getting messages. I need to turn my phone off next time we do this. They don't do not disturb. I thought, how do I do that? But I have it on this. That's on vibrate. Oh. <gasps> cool. Didn't know. Um. Dan being a derner. I can never say that. Oh, gosh, why do I keep messing that up? Lane was seen hit, hit at a specific seminar at Amityway. Am. <laughs> Schoenborn. Schoenborn. <laughs> what? I don't know. I thought you were doing something weird and I glanced over for a second and you weren't doing anything weird. So then I just went back to what I was doing. Zoning out over here because I can't <laughs> breathe. On December 8th, Kraft traveled to... Traveled... To, you don't have to put that in there. That's kind of... 